Last week in our evening service, as we looked at Colossians 1, we considered the fact that perhaps it is true, almost certainly it is true, that we do not exalt uh, Jesus Christ as we should. That what happens because of our sin is that we sort of diminish, don't we? We reduce Jesus, because of our sin, we reduce him in our understanding, in our affections. And then what happens? Well, then we go to passages of Scripture like we did last week in Colossians 1, and we go, wow, what a great God Christ is. We see in you, wait a minute, Jesus is an awesome, awesome God. Well, see that, that, that problem that we were talking about last week, that, that problem of dilution, it is a problem that also affects Jesus' work. I wonder, do you see what, see what I mean by that? Not only do we not have a big enough and a proper view of who Jesus is, but surely it's true we do not have a big enough and a proper view of what Jesus has done for us. I don't know, maybe because oh, we have too grand a view of ourselves. Maybe because we simply do not meditate upon the gospel of Jesus Christ as we should. We can sort of bang the word all over the shop. We can talk about gospel till the cows come home. But perhaps we don't have an appropriate understanding of the magnitude, you know. The scale of what it is that Christ has done for us as Christians. Well, the hope um, just now um, in the time that we've got tonight is that through the word what will happen is that we are going to leave this place tonight safe in the knowledge that, that, that not only is Jesus uh, greater than, than we thought but also that this good news that we talk about, the gospel that it is, you know, mightier and it is greater and it is brighter and it is bigger and it is more incredible than we could possibly ever have imagined so that's the, that's the plan, let's look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for you and for what he's done for me, and to do that what do we do? We look at Colossians 1. So have Colossians 1 uh, open in front of you. Remember what it is. It's just uh, the verses 21 to 23 for those latecomers who have maybe just come into the church. 21 uh, to 23. Let's consider firstly the need for reconciliation. Okay, let's think about the need for reconciliation. Okay, last week we looked at that dramatic hymn of praise that, that, that Paul had, had written about Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember what we saw in it last week? Uh, we saw that Jesus Christ was supreme over uh, creation. We saw that. But we also saw that Jesus Christ was supreme over how creation will be restored to God. Now, it's as though... Last week, Paul was kind of preaching up here. And then this week, he's speaking down here. Because just look at how it begins here. Look at how verse 21 begins. Do you see it? There's the word. And you. Do you see it? Once 
you. So he's, he's up here last week and he's speaking of the, the, the glory of Jesus Christ and his work of reconciliation. This week, what we're looking at tonight is much more how that awesome work relates to you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is how reconciliation affects us. What did he say? Well, what Paul's going to do in these verses is going to show us the extent of the gospel. But he's not stupid. Paul knows that if he is going to show us the gospel in all of its splendor, the first thing he's going to have to do is to remind us of what we were like. If we're going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul knows we've got to work out, okay, or we've got to be reminded, come face to face with what we were like before God worked and before God saved us. So what Paul does here is he uses a couple of ideas, okay? He uses a couple of phrases and terms here that that really serve to do one thing. He uses words that bring us face to face with the hopelessness and the utter despair of our former situation before Christ saved us. And again, look at verse 21. You get the first idea here. Look at it. He says that we were, look at that word, what a word. We were alienated from God. Okay, now, uh, I'm a friend of a family that is going through a really sort of tough time just now. And it's a sort of familiar story, certainly one you hear in churches. Because uh, the family has, has got a boy, late teenage boy, okay? And you know how it goes. He gets into drink, starts drinking a lot, and then it's, uh, starts dabbling in drugs, and then that sort of, he's really into drugs. And the situation really, really escalated. And now this family, a poor family, really it's broken. Because the boy's now not living at home. You can imagine, you've heard stories like this before, you know. And uh, there's really no contact. The parents don't know where this boy is. Um, and there's, there's nothing going on in that relationship. There's no phone calls at all. And there's no emails. There's no text messages. There is absolutely nothing. Isn't it horrible? But do you see that that is what Paul is talking about here but he's talking about what we used to be like with, with, he's talking about a formerly estranged relationship. Now, I think that we make a mistake with this, don't we? Like when we think about what we were like before we were Christians, don't we think about it in terms of acts and deeds? Don't we? We sort of think, oh, you know, before I was a Christian, you know, I would do stuff that was wrong, as I do now. But before I was a Christian, I would do stuff that was wrong, eh, that would be deserving of punishment. I'd be facing punishment. Don't we think of it like that? Right, but we need to widen out our understanding of our former depravity. Because think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying you, as a Christian... Before you were saved, there was a complete absence of any positive relationship with God. I mean, you were entirely separated from God. I mean, 
totally estranged, absolutely alienated from anything that was good. Isn't that horrific? That's what it was like. And it sounds bad, but do you know what? Paul says the situation was much, much worse than that. Because look what he says. Look what he goes on to say here. Again, follow in your Bibles. He says, you were alienated from God. Next bit. Wow. You were enemies in your minds. I think we've got to get it right that uh, the Greek there, the Greek idea of uh, the, the scope of what Paul's talking about is not really about enemies in your minds at all. In fact, in the original, the idea is worse than that. The idea is that before you were saved, before we were saved, we were enemies to God in absolutely every area of our being. We were enemies of that God of love and goodness. Now think about that just for a second with me. But think of it like this. Think about what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that we used to be apathetic towards God. He's not saying that we used to be, spiritually speaking, he's saying we didn't used to be indifferent. Now, you've got friends, I'm guessing, if you're anything like me, you've got friends who are indifferent to God. You know, you've got friends who are maybe a bit neutral about these things. You know, don't really want to talk about it too much. Don't want to think about it. Yeah? Would you see what Paul's saying here is that really, spiritually speaking, before God, no one, not a soul is indifferent. That there is absolutely no neutrality before a holy God. He is saying that unless we are saved by grace, that we are enemies that we are terrorists to God, if you want it. Do you want it? We are ISIS to God. We are hostile to, to a holy God in absolutely everything that we are. I thought, and you might be thinking, well, come on, man. <laughs> I gave up my Sunday night and uh, I've come to church and I was hoping that there would be something kind of uplifting to, to take me into the week and this is like reading Sylvia Plath, man. I mean, this is about as depressing as it could possibly be. But do you see the importance of us being reminded of what we used to be like? I mean, unless we understand and, and really comprehend what we were, then we will never properly appreciate just what Jesus Christ has, has done for us. We were alienated. We were enemies. We were hostile. And let me say this to you. I'm saying, you know, I'm speaking to Christians here and I'm saying, this is what you used to be like. You used to be alienated. You used to be enemies from God. But I also need to say, if you are in here this evening and you have never bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, See what I'm talking about there? See what Paul's talking about here? The status of an enemy. An enemy. That is where you are before God this evening. You're there as an enemy of God. 
This is serious. We see the need for reconciliation. Secondly, we see the means of reconciliation. Now, um, what Paul does as he writes to the Colossians is he is trying to show them really the contrast between what they used to be and where they are now. Okay, there's, there's cracking words, those famous words in verse 22, but now. So he's saying, you used to be alienated. You were alienated. And then he says, but now you are reconciled to God. Right. More than just pointing out the contrast, more than just saying, this is what you were, this is what you are now. What Paul wants to do, what he wants you to focus on just now, he wants to focus, or he wants us to focus on how that contrast has come about. Okay? We were like this, alienated. We are now reconciled to God. Paul wants us to see how that has happened. What has brought that about? Okay. So what does he say? Okay. Um, whether we like it or not, the brutal truth is, Christmas is coming. Okay? Um, the adverts have started. We've all seen the Sainsbury's advert. And we've all seen, what was the other The John Lewis advert. And... Uh, yeah, the Christmas music started and all. So we are getting to that time of year where the population of London, the population of this country, will once again overlook the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And it is that that Paul wants us to avoid here. Now, I want you to see in your Bibles the emphasis, and it's really quite an obvious emphasis that Paul is making in verse 22. So again, I suppose it depends on your translation of the Bible. In every translation, the emphasis he makes is very, very obvious. I think this is the NIV uh, that I've got here that says, Paul says, we've been reconciled by Christ's physical body. That's what the church Bible's got, isn't it? Reconciled by Christ's physical body. The ESV, I know a few of you have got the ESV. The emphasis is the same. Listen to it. Um, we have been reconciled in Jesus' body of flesh. Now that's pretty graphic, isn't it? I mean, you see the, the, the emphasis is on the physical reality of, of Jesus' body. Now, I think from that emphasis, we can, we can see a point that Paul's making there. Like, it seems to be that he is right into the Colossians because the false teachers, remember the false teachers there? They see, yeah, they seem to be going down the same route as a lot of false teachers go down and denying the real humanity of Jesus. Do you see that? You know, they are saying, the false teachers are saying, oh, no, 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 not only do you need Jesus, you need more than Jesus. And anyway, Jesus only appeared to be a man when he was on earth. And do you see what Paul's doing? Paul's writing, and what's his emphasis? His emphasis, no! That the sheer 
wonder of the gospel, the amazing thing about this reconciliation that I'm writing to you about, is that God did actually become man. That this exalt, remember the exalted Christ of last week? That supreme Christ of last week? The amazing thing about this reconciliation is that that creator did take upon himself flesh and blood. Now, I know it's difficult to concentrate because of the fireworks. I know. It could have at least waited to the end of the sermon. Do you not think so? But when we are confronted with what Paul says here about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we should just stand back in awe that that Jesus, head of the church, that that Jesus who sustains everything by the power of his hand, that to save you, he condescended to become a man. We just stand back at that and just wonder, don't we? But do you know what we have to say? We have to say that was not enough. See, look at what Paul's second emphasis is here. Look at verse 22. He's not finished. He says, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Ah, by Christ's physical body through death. See what he's saying? What he's saying is that this gospel, this reconciliation, it had to involve a death. That Jesus Christ could not just become man. That there had to be more than just a perfect life. He's saying that there had to be a suitable sacrifice that didn't even just suffer lots of punishment and wrath. But that that sacrifice, Jesus Christ, had to bleed out. That the lifeblood was what made atonement for our sin. Do you see that? That Jesus Christ had to die. Now listen to this. If Jesus Christ had to die, does that not surely confront us with the the magnitude of the gospel? With the the extent of of this way of salvation? Because think about it. This means that, that, that your reconciliation, this means that the, for you to be saved, the one who created you had to die for you. The one who created you had to die for you. That's what this means. And it means that the head of the body, the church, he had to bow his head in death. We said last week, ah, the, the, the creator entered into his creation. And that's true. But what we're seeing here is that the creator had to enter his creation. Why? To be killed. And then we remember. We remember what we've just seen. That he did that for his enemies. He did that He died for people who were absolutely hostile to him. He did that for people who hated him. And that takes us to our third heading here. We've seen the need. We see the means through Jesus Christ's death. And then we see the purpose of reconciliation. Okay. Um, Paul tells the Colossians that, that Jesus Christ has had to die if they were going to be reconciled. 
But he goes here, to, he goes on to explain why Jesus would do that, why Jesus Christ did that. Now, again, look at verse 22 and follow it through with me, please. I'll give you a second just to look at it. Verse 22, Paul says, We've been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death. What's the purpose? You see it? Three words, to present you. We also are doing it. We've been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you. Now, um, let's be clear about this. This idea of a presentation. This idea of Jesus Christ presenting the people of God to God the Father is, is a common idea in Scripture. Now, you know how I end every service in this place. We end it with a benediction, don't we? I mean, that's, that's how we roll in the Reformed Church. We have a benediction at the end. Now, very often I will use, I try and vary the benedictions in Scripture that I use, um, and I'll use quite often the benediction in Jude. In fact, I used it this morning. I'm sure you remember it. It is I sort of say, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority, and, and so on, right? Now, what it says immediately before that in Scripture is this. Now, just hear this. It says, to him, benediction, addressing God, to him who is able to present you. And it's the very same language that we're dealing with here. It's this idea that Christ takes the people of God and he will bring them to the Father and present them. Now, we get that that is a common picture. We see it in Ephesians 5 as well. It's a common picture in Scripture. But what does it mean that Jesus Christ is going to present to you? What does it mean? Well, it, it, it could be language from the Old Testament, the temple worship. I mean, think about what a high priest used to do in the, in the, the temple. A high priest used to take an animal and it used to, the, the high priest would take it and present it holy and blemish-free before God. So, so the idea that Paul's saying here in this presentation, it might be okay that Jesus is saying through his death, he is able to take you as a Christian, and take you before God as a, as a holy and, and blemish-free offering. So it could be that Old Testament language. Might be. I don't think so. It's less likely to be Old Testament language than it is to be judicial language. Now follow me on this. You know what Hollywood is like? Um, Hollywood likes to make big blockbuster courtroom films, courtroom dramas, doesn't it? Like, uh, what's that one? Matthew McConaughey, and uh, he's sort of defending in the courtroom, he's defending uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, uh, was A Time to Kill? Or you've got the old one, the, the uh, Gregory Peck, I think, you know, there's big tension in To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, sort of big pictures of drama in the courtroom. That is the language that Paul is using here. It is very much judicial language. This is about a divine defense of believers 
And so imagine the scene. It is the end of all things. And it's the end of history. And there is the grand courtroom of heaven. And silence falls. And everyone's there. All humanity. And all angelic beings. And it is you who is sitting as the accused in that courtroom. And the door of the courtroom opens at the back. And it is your Savior who walks in. And your Savior walks up to you. And he stands beside you. And then he steps forth. And what does he do? Because you have asked for forgiveness, because you have trusted in him, he can declare you in that courtroom innocent. But the language in the Greek is this idea of presentation. For you, he stands before the judge of all things and he presents you to the judge as clean. He presents you to the judge of all things as being righteous, as being blameless, holy and true. Now what I want you to think about is, wait a minute, the change that has occurred in your status in this gospel. See what you've gone from? You've gone from someone who was alienated from God. And what does Paul say here? You present it as one who is holy, alienated from God, to now one who is actually set apart for God. You were, what, what did we say? What did we say? We said, enemies. Enemies of God. To what? What does he say? Without blemish. Now presented by Jesus Christ. Do you see this presentation? Do you see the, the change that is, this, this, that we've undergone? We've gone from darkness to light in this gospel. We've gone from, from black to white. We've gone from guilt to innocence in this gospel. And it's all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. It's all because of him. Friends, I hope your, your heart burns as a Christian within you in sheer gratitude. Because you can look forward to that day when, when it isn't just a guy in a church asking you to imagine it. It's actually going to take place that Jesus Christ, because you've trusted and believed in him, he is going to present you to God the Father as one, because of him, who's righteous. And then lastly, we see here a stipulation of reconciliation. Think about that. We've seen the need and we've seen the means of reconciliation. We've seen the purpose. Why? To present. And then we see the stipulation of it all. Now, I, I hope that we have all tonight seen something of the scale and the magnitude the extent of what Jesus Christ has done for his people. But there's one thing that Paul mentions here um, that we have to try and wrestle with in verse 23. And it's not easy because what happens in verse 23 is that Paul seems to be adding a qualification. He seems to be adding a, a, a condition 
or a stipulation to our salvation or our reconciliation. So, do you see the word that begins verse 23? What about that as a word? He says, basically, all this reconciliation is yours if. So what, what, what's the condition? What is the, the, qual- the stipulation here? Well, what does he say? He says, um, all this reconciliation with God is yours if we continue in our faith. This is ours. We enjoy this if we continue in our faith. What does that mean? Well, we, we, we have to get this right. It is not a question of doubt. Oh, please do not think that it is a question of doubt. It is not, if I, if I, if I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's my Lord and Savior, then hopefully I will be saved if I continue in my faith. Hopefully it's not that. It's not a question of doubt. It is a question of authenticity. Isn't it? It's a question of whether our faith is, is genuine. He's saying you will, will experience reconciliation if you continue in your faith. If your faith is proven to be genuine and real. And, and I think obviously what Paul is saying there is important because it, it's about our eternal salvation. So we've got to be We've got to know what he means by continuing in our faith. What does he mean? Well, there's a man I I knew in a church in the mess. He's an old man now. And uh, when I first became a Christian, I became a Christian in my early 20s. And there was that sort of joy that accompanied uh, that salvation and I was just so enthused and I just wanted to read the Bible and I wanted to pray and I wanted to live for Jesus and I spoke to my dad who's a Christian and my dad directed me to that man in the church and he said to me my dad said if you want to know what a Christian life is like get to know that man and follow that man and uh, my dad said he, he had known that man for over 50 years. And the way that my, describe, my dad described that man was that he was a steady Christian. That he was a stable believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That this was a guy who trusted Christ. And you could see that trust. That he was a guy who had never sort of fallen away from the church and denied Jesus Christ and then sort of come back to the church and then fallen away again and then come... No. That this was a man who was steady. This was a man who had a firm and sure hope of his salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is talking about in verse 23. Look at the language. He says... Continue, if you continue in your faith, then look at the language, established, firm, not moved. It's the very, very same language that Jesus used in the parable. Remember the parable of the house that was built on the rock? It's the same language. It is about a faith that is unshaken. It is about Jesus Christ 
being the firm foundation of your faith. It is about him being your rock. That is what Paul is talking about here. So I'm going to end by asking you to do something this evening, either just now or later on tonight. I'd ask you as a congregation that we all check our spiritual foundation. Are you a Christian? And is your foundation the Lord Jesus Christ? Check your foundations. Is your life built upon this exalted Christ of Colossians? Is it? If so, do what Paul says. Continue in your faith. Continue in your faith. Now, how do we do that? Well, on a daily basis, we rejoice in what we have seen tonight. We rejoice in the gospel. Do we do that? On a daily basis, are we meditating upon the fact that God has taken us as alienated from him through the cross? He has reconciled us. Are we rejoicing in that on a daily basis? We should. But if you examine your spiritual foundation this evening and you discover that you are not built upon Christ, if you're not saved, I I want you to hear this. I want you to view these seconds as massive, massive moments in your life. And you might think, oh no, I'm just going to go home or I'm going to go into the week and you've got other things in your mind. Consider that these moments right now are much, much, much more important than that. Because think about what is on the table here tonight. Like, you can just walk out the door again. But if you do that, you remain an enemy of God. You remain an enemy, hostile, before your creator. Do you want that? See, it could change. You could bow. And then if you do that, this peace that Paul's talking about, this wonderful gospel, this reconciliation with God, it can be yours tonight. These seconds, this moment is so important. So I leave you with what Paul said elsewhere. He simply said, be reconciled to God. Let's pray.